Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of AOC. Today, we're discussing PTSD Radio by Masaki Nakayama, and since this is a horror manga, here's a couple of content warnings up front. If you find here creepy in any way, think Juon and Ring, this could be a little upsetting. Since this episode is full of spoilers, as always, we also mention several jump scares that listeners might find unpleasant. But we do laugh a lot and hope that despite the topic, you'll enjoy our first official entry into the spooky season. We can't wait to take you along for a horrific time, so let's get scared! Hi, I'm Paul Duffield, a comic book artist who currently looks like a garden gnome because he has a spot on the end of his nose, and a big bushy beard. Hi, I'm Joss, and for the last week or so, I've been revisiting Midgard for the third time, playing Final Fantasy VII, so that's where I'm at currently. Hair can be a powerful symbol, a cultural signifier, a symbol of age, rank, status, and belief. It can be a fetish, both as a magical talisman and as an object of obsession or sexual fixation. It can make you stand out or help you blend in. PTSD Radio is obsessed with hair, and you won't quite look at it in the same way again after you've started reading. Turning on the radio is always a gamble. Sometimes you tune into your favorite song, while other times you're stuck in what feels like an infinite ad break. But one thing is certain, the radio is a charming apparatus, and so is the manga PTSD Radio, even when it switches channels too frequently, interrupting its own program. (laughs) Yeah, you know what, you've actually answered a question I was going to ask you, which is did you figure out why it's called PTSD Radio, and I can't believe I didn't clock it. Really? It even has the AM frequencies, I believe, up in the corner for every chapter? Of course, I was just being extra dense whilst I was reading this, apparently. <laughs> One of my very first notes was like, this feels like the mangaka flipping between radio channels as I'm reading. So I get a little bit of channel A and a little bit of channel B, and I'm losing time in between them. So where I'm picking up, it leaves me feeling a little befuddled. Yeah, it was a very, very odd structure. Kind of like micro stories all in the same universe and all telling the same tale but the perspectives you take are random sometimes they're totally different sometimes characters recur sometimes they don't recur sometimes you can be with them for four pages and there's one segment which feels i think the most random of all that lasts nearly 20 pages which is nearly twice as long as the longest other section it's a very strange reading experience i agree and i both liked it and Sometimes I found it to be a weakness of the story, but as someone who always hammers on about conventional storytelling, I do admire the idea about this. I actually wrote down, let's see, a super cool concept with middling success. Yeah, I think as a fair overall analysis of it, I'm right there with you. It grabbed me and then lost me and then grabbed me and then lost me and then spooked me out and then made me giggle a bit. Uh, like I was always sort of a little a little bit away from being fully into the experience. Um, and I guess in that respect, it is a lot like hopping radio channels, you know, like, oh, I, I like this music. Oh, no, I'm not such a fan of this. But it does have a nice horror feel to it, especially with the kind of, you know, radio ghost hunting and stuff where you scan channels for uh, meaningful signals. Its structure is too conceptual in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Matt, I, as we sit down and talk about this, I find myself struggling gathering my thoughts. Since overall, I had a very enjoyable reading experience doing this. I sat down, it was stormy outside, I lit candles, I even listened to Silent Hill music while reading. Oh, damn. I can imagine that made it way spookier. I created the entire atmosphere, and then I sent you the fucking clip of the neighbor drilling the wall, and I I almost (laughs) shat my pants. (laughs) Jump scared so hard. I was definitely in the right mindset for this. I took very little notes compared to what I normally do. I barely have one page of notes, including the blurb that I wrote. But I was just vibing. One of my notes is literally, this manga is all vibes. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's like impressions, vignettes, even if the kind of horror is different, with the one exception of that extra long chapter i think it all has that really peculiar vibe there is a god in this universe which is called ogushi sama 
Is that how you pronounce that? I think it's Ogushi-sama. Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. This god demands a sacrifice of a bit of hair of the recently deceased to then bring your deceased into the afterlife, question mark, to, to pass on the spirit. But it seems like a malevolent god, because if you wrong it any way, shape, or form, it is out for vengeance. <laughs> yeah, and very significantly, if you give it the hair of the living, it will still try and pull them into death. And it's all about the pull. The, even the prayer surrounding Ogushi-sama is push and pull or something like that. It's the ebb and flow, but they specifically use the word pull. And there's a lot of hair pulling in general in this manga. Here's another question that I wanted to ask you that I hinted at in the blurb when I mentioned that hair can be both a sexual fetish and a fetish in the meaning of the word as a magical object or talisman. Do you think this story qualifies for author's barely disguised fetish? Or do you think it qualifies for sort of author's barely disguised phobia or somewhere in between the two? Oh, wow. That never occurred to me. Normally, I'm pretty tuned in to when I feel like something is fetishizing in a sexual way. Perfect example is Quentin Tarantino with feet. Mm, yeah. I feel like it's, depending on presentation, relatively easy to spot when a creator is hyperfixating, not necessarily to a literal sexual degree, but somewhat fantasizing about whatever they are portraying. I never got that with the hair, I have to say, but it made me Google what's with Japan in here. <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically right. something like it's a it's of course a symbol of wealth and beauty and all that jazz. But yeah, it it didn't occur to me as a literal sexual thing. Did it to you? Well, I didn't think so until I just mentioned the subject to my partner Kate whilst I was reading it, and she was like, "Oh, author's barely disguised fetish," because I was just like, "Oh yeah, it's all about hair and hair pulling." And obviously, when you summarize it like that, yeah, it's hard to avoid the implication. And then after that, I was sort of like. Mm. Do I agree with that? And that happened to be just before a particular page 47, which is the bath scene where she's sort of pulled under the bath by her hair being pulled by like bubbles. And that struck me as the only kind of moment of potential more sexual stuff just because of the nudity in the bath scene. But I'm not sure I would have clocked it without Kate's comment. I honestly have to say, and this is of course very free for interpretation, but I have to say I disagree. There's nothing voyeuristic about this scene. In a more typical manga, because as we know, there's... Hmm, how do I say this without cancelling myself? <laughs> In a lot of Japanese media, there's a lingering gaze at female body parts. Yes. There's none of this in this. There's even a write-out sex scene that is very non-erotic, which sounds absurd, but I didn't feel remotely titillating watching the two of them have sex. Also, partially due to the fact that I'm not that invested in these two characters, because they're kind of assholes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I personally have to say, looking at this full-page image of her being pulled underwater, you don't even see her butt. It's not really sort of framed particularly sexually. I would, like, I would agree about the sex scene as well. In a way, it was a bit of a double take because there'd been no nudity at all, apart from this very brief hidden nudity uh, in the bath scene. And the sex scene was nearly full frontal, but at the same time really didn't go out of its way to be gratuitous or pornographic. So it did make me go, oh, okay, we're going there, are we? Oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> I kind of appreciated it as it's a very hot topic today how sexless media has become, which I personally think is a huge issue. And this is not because I'm so like, I don't need fucking everywhere. It's more the puritarian bullshit that's going on and there is a very dangerous side effect to this. So just seeing two people have sex, very matter of fact, there's nothing, again, nothing voyeuristic about it. It's just like, they're having sex. They're a couple, they're doing couple activities together. I was like, yeah. you know, this is kind of refreshing. And then I yeah. found out that the manga is from 2010. And I was like, oh yeah, that was a different time. Wow, I didn't realize it was that old, actually. Immediately when I started reading, I was hit by how... Hmm, it's gonna sound like, you know, I'm a hundred years old, but the style was surprisingly retro to me. Right, yes, that explains it. I did have the same thought, and I just thought, oh, well, I guess it's someone with, a, with sort of their taste in the in the sort of 2000s era or something. 
What did you think of the artwork, actually, I, I meant to ask you? In the very beginning, I struggled a little bit to get going because it felt very stiff. The drawings are incredibly stiff, almost in a way where someone is both a little bit inexperienced and also over-perfecting things. So it's it's not the loosey, more fun thing that we're used to with a lot of manga, where they have to be fast and efficient. Hmm. But then, towards the end, I really felt like the mangaka has found his voice. And it felt much more fluent by the end, to me at least. How about you? Yeah, inconsistent, but great when it was great is how I'd put it. There's a sort of an odd thing going on with the faces, especially, which, which is that I think the mangaka is fantastic at faces from anything from straight on to an elevated camera angle. Mm -hmm. And then if he has to drop the camera below the character's chin, yeah. it all goes to hell. <laughs> but to be fair, as a fellow artist, that is an evil angle. And I it think is. unless you are either very gifted or you trace a 3D model, that's always going to end up looking a little wonkadonk because it's one of those fucked up angles that when you draw it as you think it is, it looks fucked up, but also if you try too heavily to draw from reference, it also looks fucked up because it doesn't work stylized the way it works in the photo. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Did you pick up on a slight difference in the stylization of the faces in between the historical era segments and the modern day segments? Because I, I thought there was, but I wasn't sure if I was just imagining things. No, I think you're right. Looking back now, that's probably why I felt it finally settled into something a little more natural towards the end, because this is towards the very end. And the faces feel much more consistent. They feel much more varied, because in the beginning, there was a lot of same face issue going going on where I struggle telling characters apart, especially the two girlfriends of the douche-ass dude. Yes, I had problems with that as well. And whether we, was look we were looking at the douche-ass dude or someone similar to him, because there are a couple of chapters where someone very similar to him is in the story but not named. Yeah, exactly. And towards the end where we have the prolonged chapter where the samurais are meeting and talking about the prostitute ghost, I feel like the author is leaning more into a tropey portrayal of samurais because I've definitely seen these kind of faces before, you know, the dude without eyebrows and, you know, the typical mm. hairstyles and everything. And then you have the, I guess you can call him the main protag of the samurai story. He looks much more typical of what the author has drawn in the other chapters. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. So good to know that you did notice it. Yeah, I think what I enjoyed most was that when the author got sort of loose and did a great job with things. Some of the facial expressions are fantastic. And I've marked out page 186. There's a conversation between, I think it's the arsehole guy, talking about some weird dream he's been having and his mate. And I loved the expressions on this page. I could I could sort of hear this conversation playing out. Oh yeah, when the, the friend is like, have you tried banging the ghost? And he's just like, oh, fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some brilliant, like, meme-worthy expressions in this. It is very good. And then the page turner of the twisted woman Woman standing out the window. That's one thing I will heavily applaud this manga for is the page turners. They oh. always landed for me because I was always excited to see where they went. And that highlighted another thing to me that stood out with this mangaka is that I can tell that he loves horror and he loves monsters because every monster is so lovingly rendered compared to everything else. Yes. It, yeah, it very much had a Junji Ito feel in that respect, in that you can tell he's cracked out the fine shading pens for this for this monster page or <laughs> yes. this uh, this jump scare. If anything, if like spot this dude's fetishes, I would say he's a fellow monster fucker. <laughs> oh yeah, probably, probably. There was a particular page turn which I absolutely loved. I'm just trying to find my notes about it. Could it maybe have been page 42? That was one of my favorites. With the dude lighting the cigarette and you see the ghost in the light of the flame. Absolutely, that was the one. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite pages. It blew my mind. If that isn't peak horror where you've been walking in pitch darkness and then you have just a tiny light and you do see something Ugh, no thanks oh yeah yeah that, that was a brilliant moment that, that was one of the very few moments in comics ever when i thought a jump scare really hit in the pages building up to this the mangaka does a terrific job of really establishing just how dark it is there the character a man is out on the countryside and he himself remarks upon just how dark it is outside yeah one of the things i liked about this particular little short and actually the comic as a whole is that quite frequently it freaks you out without really 
showing you the characters being in danger or suffering harm. He just carries on. He didn't notice the face. It was just for us. And you're left to imagine whether he was just able to go on with his life, having just been next to a creepy thing that he never noticed, or whether he was subsequently brutally killed or whatever happened next. And I really like the power of suggestion in a lot of these short stories. Yeah, and you point out something that I really do appreciate in this and that I don't think is utilized enough in horror stories in general. And it is just that, the fact that not everybody has to get harmed for it to be scary. And that harkens back to my love for Silent Hill where you don't need a jump scare to get scared. And Silent Hill is more suspense than anything and very rarely you do you get that release because that's what a jump scare ultimately is, right? You build and build and build and then you jump scare and then you're like, whew, because you you got out all those emotions. But when you consistently sit in suspense, it's increasingly uncomfortable. It's like this note that just keeps rising and rising and rising and it just never reaches a climax. Yeah. That's something I personally really enjoy, no matter how sad or masochistic that sounds. I really enjoy that <laughs> with horror because I think it's more clever and it requires more fine-tuning and finesse than a jump scare does in at least in my opinion because i personally find jump scares very cheap in many instances just knowing that there's so many characters in this world of the creator that they just go on not knowing that's half of the terror yeah absolutely and i think that's part of that vibe that you mentioned earlier where there's just this sense that something about this world is broken and some people have noticed it and some people haven't but it's much less on the nose than let's say uzumaki where everything wrong with the world is absolutely in your face and everyone realizes it makes you look at your own world and go what am i missing yeah that actually leads me to a question that just plopped into my head right now. If you were to set this up against Uzumaki, which one do you prefer and why? Ooh, now that's really hard. I think they've both got their own strengths and they make for quite a different experience. I think that the art in Uzumaki tends to hit harder and is a little bit more refined. And the long-lasting feeling of horror in the gut that kind of being unsettled, I think, is more intense in Uzumaki. But I think it's also partially because it's often more graphic. But I think that when this one gets graphic, it can often get a teensy bit comical. Like um, <laughs> my note on page 272, where this guy tries to destroy the little Jizo statue of the god by hitting it with a hammer. The initial moment when you see his caved in head, like with this sympathetic injury, was really like, oh god, that's gross. But then it carries on and turns into this Fist of the North Star scene where his head explodes into a giant shower of blood. And I was just like, <laughs> that was funny. Didn't quite get that same kind of body horror feel. But I think the, the vibes are more intense in PTSD radio. The sustained sense of suspense is not undermined by that weird Saturday morning cartoon dialogue problem that Uzumaki has. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts, I think, for me. The fact that we're discussing this manga in the same breath as Junji Ito, I think, is probably quite significant, given that we're talking about a horror. Yeah, I would say so. And I'm pretty sure that on the back, it actually says a decidedly impressive entry into the horror manga catalog that belongs on my shelf next to Junji Ito and Uzamara Furaya, which I'm, I'm not familiar with the latter, but... Right, right. The fact that you picked up this on the strength of the cover, having glimpsed it in a store, neither of us had read this before we decided to do it, by the way, which is a new thing for us in this uh, podcast, as far as I'm aware. It lived up to the promise of the cover. It's really impressive. I will say I expected something very different from the cover, since the cover is so surreal and artistic, I guess. The cover, for people who haven't seen the thumbnail or whatever, is a wall with a face in the wall that looks very distorted and then some electronic equipment like speakers or something very close to the face. It looks like if uh, Salvador Dali suddenly went face deep into horror. <laughs> it does have that feel, doesn't it? I'm also surprised that, for me, that the theme of the hair leapt out most obviously because it's in absolutely every single chapter, again, with the exception of that long one with the samurai in. doesn't really focus on the hair except for in one little detail. To just pivot off the samurai thing, you could say that 
the samurais themselves are all about hair, right? Because, please correct me if I'm wrong, don't they have the whole ritual of cutting off their ponytail? It's not even called a ponytail. I know, but like their little bun. Oh, the top knot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't there like a whole ritual to cut off the top knot if you're been dishonored or you're... Yeah, I think so. I certainly know that the particular cut of a samurai's hair was very important and that that's obvious in the, at least in hindsight, when you get to the end of the chapter one of the samurai who had featured earlier in a story being told was found dead with his top knot in a really significant position. I will say, after reading this, I am going to pick up the next two volumes because there are two more omnibuses out and it's currently on a enforced hiatus. I did a little bit of reading around this today because I was very intrigued. Apparently, there was this weird rumor that... <laughs> Upfront, I found an article on a website called grimoireofhorror.com. In this article, they're discussing how there was a rumor circulating online about Masaki Nakayama, the mangaka of this. There was like supposedly a rumor that he stopped working on the manga because he started experiencing malicious stuff in real life. And I was like, oh my god, this is too juicy. I gotta read into this. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, was there any validity behind it? So they put it very beautifully where they wrote, Just as we have seen before, the language barrier and foolish reporting create a game of telephone difficult to clarify. The thing is though, so this is the part I want to read. What happened to PTSD Radio's author? Now, as for the rumors, this is what really happened with Masaki Nakayama. According to the extra chapters included in Volume 5 and 6 of PTS Radio, he indeed started to experience strange occurrences. However, the source of them is not the manga itself, but the office he used as a studio for its production. For six years, he rented an office in Sapporo. Located in an almost empty rundown building, this place seemed perfect despite its appearance, since it was cheap and spacious enough. Shortly after moving in, Nakayama found in a storage closet a strange package wrapped in oiled paper. According to his account, it contained nothing but a piece of hastily dismantled home shrine. Without giving it a second thought, he left the package there, but soon he would experience different kinds of inconveniences that slowed down the manga production. Simultaneously, he and his assistants would hear strange sounds and smell a rotten odor in the office. Nakayama would eventually decide to leave the place and, after a terrifying incident he refuses to elaborate on, he knew something was not right with the place. After he started working somewhere else, he also got a blood disease that I'm not even going to try to pronounce because it's so convoluted, but shorten it's ITP, where you bruise easily, you can get internal bleeding, stuff like that. Oh yeah. So he got ill himself as well. But then this has been mixed in to the actual reason why the manga is on the forced hiatus, which is that it was published in a magazine that since ran out of print, it shut down. So he just didn't oh. have anywhere to publish it. These two things have been mushed together. The funny thing is that apparently in the last chapters, like mentioned of the very last books that were published, he talks more about the incidents in his office than the story of the manga. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine working in a studio, probably late, it's dark outside, maybe the lights aren't that great on the inside, except for the bright light over your studio desk. And you know it's a creepy atmosphere and you're working on this comic. I would freak myself out. I mean, I already almost had to change underwear after they drilled the wall while reading it. If it happened <laughs> while I was making it, no way, dude. I would be like, mm, this is a sign from God and I'm not even religious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That actually brings me around to something that I wanted to look into, but I never found the answer to, which is how exactly this was published in the first place. Because the chapters, quote unquote, are so small, obviously less than the sort of chunk that you'd normally get in a monthly magazine. I was interested to know how many pages were published per chapter in the original magazine, what the pacing was like there. Because if it's strange to read as a volume, it probably would have been even re weirder to read chapter by chapter, waiting potentially up to a month between chapters. Yeah, but also don't you think that's kind of the perfect format? If the chapter's published in a magazine like this with just little tidbits of the manga going along, it would intrigue me so much to just read one of these very short chapters. I would be like, what? I need more. I really need more. I want to see mm. where this goes and I want to keep expanding on this vibe. Yeah, if I was an editor, I might be tempted to take maybe two or three of these per issue and then scatter them in amongst the other stories. Mm, so you just yeah. got little flashes of them in between all of the other stuff and you slowly realize it's all part of the same manga and it's all connected. 
Man, the thing is, when I finished reading, I was, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but I was a little bit ambivalent. But now talking with you about it, I'm just like, I fucking love this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. At the start, I was really creeped out. I was really into it. I thought it was a really unusual thing with the pacing. And then when it started to bring in the stuff around the god, I felt that it perhaps began to explain itself a bit too clearly because we got to the end of this manga and I know why all of this stuff is happening, even if some of it remains very mysterious. There's a malicious god who takes offerings of hair. There we go. That's the whole plot. And I think perhaps that in combination with that long chapter, which really lost me a little bit, I've got to say, I just felt like, what, what's the point in this? Uh, it, it doesn't feel related. It feels like a different kind of horror. Oh, I need to circle back and talk about that. Right. Okay. Because I think I was enjoying this fragmentary piecing it together. It almost felt like I was piecing together a puzzle bit by bit. And then suddenly they interrupted that kind of meta pacing, which I've become used to. Then the story ended and I was a bit like, oh, okay, okay, 8 out of 10. Fun, really creepy, maybe I don't want to read anymore. But now talking with you about it, I'm much more into it again. And I kind of want to read it again and and maybe read the (laughs) next volume. I am very intrigued by the fact that you were thrown out by the samurai bit. Because my note is, the story containing the samurais was the first time I found myself really invested. Ah, And I do think that is because the note right above is doesn't really establish any character for us to be interested in. Whereas I think I was appreciating the exact opposite about the story. When it settled too far into the characters, I didn't like them very much. And I didn't like root for them or anything. I think it was the same in the samurai episode. I liked the story that was being told. It was creepy, but I didn't really care about these samurai who were sitting around talking to each other. It was nicely paced, though. I will will give it that. I think if it had started with that, it might have held my attention more. I kind of like that it was towards the end. I had very early on tuned into, no pun intended, the whole radio concept of, of this reading, like switching between channels. To me, the samurai chapter at the end feels like when you found that one program you actually want to listen to and give more than a couple of minutes and you're like, oh, I want to see where this story goes and I want to see in depth where it goes. And then you go right back to when that's done, they keep with the short format. And I thought that was delightful. I guess it's a nice coincidence of the one that they spent the time on was the one that you really wanted to, to know more about. Don't get me wrong, the samurai concept wasn't for me personally the one that I was the most invested in horror-wise. I thought that was kind of eh. It was just that at least one of these stories got the ground to breathe fully, like you uncork the wine and let it sit for a little bit. That I yeah. really appreciated. There were other stories where I'd much rather go further, and I think maybe from the top of my head, the concept that just like really blew me out of the water was on page 74. So the story is a bunch of school dudes are bullying another school dude. Across the pages, they are threatening the guy to give them money, to give them lunch money. And without saying anything, the bullied kid just looks at them and he has a very unnerving stare. He, he freaks them out by just looking at them. And then he just slams his hands into the ground so hard that he breaks his own hands. And you just go, what the fuck? I really struggled understanding what was going on. And I felt like... Okay, there's there's clearly something I'm missing here, but I'm going to keep reading and maybe it makes sense. Because I didn't understand what the kid was doing. And then on page 74, you see that what he actually did is that he smashed the shadow of the king bully. He smashed the head of the shadow. And what this causes is that the lead bully is unable to move. He can't speak. He can't move. He's frozen in spot. And then at night, Shadows comes out and takes his shadow. And then he becomes traumatized to a degree where he it looks like he's sent to some form of like mental institution or something. And then he starts scribbling on the walls, the name of the god that I'm now blanking on, but the hair god, he starts scribbling that on all the walls. And that was the story that I was like, I want more of this, dude, because there's a kid out there who can fucking punch your shadow. What the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, and I think you do see that kid find the statue at one point, or his mum comments or or Mm, something mm. on on him finding the statue, but I wasn't 100% sure it was him. I'm pretty sure it is. Right, I did love that short story. When you see that shattered shadow, that was a really nice, whoa, okay, that's really weird. Especially because the edges of it look slightly hair-like, and given all the theme of the hair, and there's other moments when you see hair flow in shadows or flow like shadows, it creates a really gross feeling to the whole thing. And this is one thing that I've noted all the way through is 
this hair motif is used in a really nice, slightly icky way in that hair tangle in things, hair down the drain. Oh, yeah, and that's one of my huge icks is hair. <laughs> right. Was this hard to read because of that, or was it just extra creepy? Funnily enough, the worst scene for me, this is gonna out one of my like huge icks, because I have big sensory issues with hair. When I shower and I get like loose strains of hair on my body, when I was young, I would actually retch from that because I hated the sensory so much. I've come to like a stage of my life where I'm just like, I'm just gonna peel it off and throw it away. But I still hate it. And there's a scene, I do believe it's when the douche ass bro and his girlfriend are having sex. (sighs) That one. Yeah. He tangles just like one loose strand of hair around his finger. And I was like, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so innocent compared to some of the other scenes. But that, uh, if you notice that hair around his finger actually came from earlier in the scene, it'd been on his finger for quite a while. And it, it was almost like he transferred it to his girlfriend there. I think that's where we discover how his girlfriend got the curse in the first place. Oh, interesting. Because I think that was back in time because they're still together from the one where they've been broken up at the beginning right 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 yeah the moment that i saw that little strand wrap itself around his i think it's his pinky or something i i was just like there yeah <laughs> yeah because i just i hate feeling my own hair outside of my head like when it's like been detached others people's hairs no thank you very much <laughs> Right. One of my least favorite things is that is that moment when you haven't lived in a house for long or you have or you're visiting a hotel room or you haven't lived in a flat for long and you find someone's hair that you know isn't yours or your partner's or someone who's been staying and you're just like, oh, no. Paul, I have such a fucking terrible story that is the perfect time to share a couple of years ago. My mother and I was on a little Norway trip where we drove quite far up north to visit a couple of different places. And at one point we had to stay at a hotel that, good lord, it was it was icky. I feel like that hotel had never been renovated. Ugh. The next morning I step into the shower because, of course, I, I'm one of those people who love starting the day by showering. I look down. And there's like a drain under the drain that I can see clearly. It's very hard to describe this contraption, but just bear with me. I can see a drain under the drain. And the drain under the drain, I swear to God, if a murderer slept at this room, they had his DNA because there was so much human hair in that drain. And there was so much that the the water wouldn't go properly down. So I felt like I stood in hair water and I was like, "Ah, I can't deal with this. (laughs) Oh, that's so gross. I wanted to shower with my boots on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are parts of this comic that feel like the comic book incarnation of that horrible feeling of starting to pull the hair out of the drain and realising just how much there is inside. (sighs) Uh, Which is probably both a warning if you cannot stand that kind of thing and also a recommendation if you think that sounds nicely gross and creepy. God, I'm sweating. I didn't... So, funnily enough, while reading this, I wasn't as icked, but talking with you, I'm just like... It's hitting all of my icks. (laughs) It could have gone harder, actually, I think, in places. I can think of ways to have pushed it even more gross. And and in a way, parts of it are quite restrained, and I did appreciate that. Both yes and no. I appreciate that it's restrained, but I'm also like, go harder, you pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go on. Go all the way. Uh, there was one actually uh, rewinding a little bit to when you were talking about the character scribbling Ogushi-sama over and over again on the wall. A little moment of excellent translation I just wanted to point out where they've translated all of the Japanese writing all over the walls by writing out Ogushi-sama in English over and over again and then setting it behind the panel as a background. Oh yeah, it's on page 150. Yeah, that's really clever. I don't know why I didn't even see that. It's nice because it, it blends in as a design feature, but it also has a practical element and it makes the page even more creepy looking. And immediately when I saw that, I was like, wow, who who handled this translation? Because that's top tier stuff. That makes me feel like I'm in safe hands. Because like we discussed it with Junji Ito where sometimes it feels like this has been translated by a boomer in the 90s. And for example, right now, like I told you, I'm replaying the old Final Fantasy VII and some of the translation there, I'm like, hmm, someone took some liberties. This is not what they're saying in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, for real. 
there's a sort of a weird feeling that sometimes things get translated by people who aren't necessarily into the material and this gave the opposite impression yeah one of the vibes that this gave me i don't know if you ever heard of or seen bookie pop phantom i have not seen this but i remember someone drawing a lot of fan art of this character back in the day it's got a similar sort of fragmentary style of storytelling this reminds me of that era of manga slash anime from around 98 to around 2008, 2010, when we had things like Boogie Pop, Lane, Blame, This, apparently, that I wasn't aware of at the time. Just being a bit more experimental, being a bit sort of weird and pushing form and function a little bit, not caring if people don't get what's going on as well. Without sounding too much like old man yelling at clouds, I really miss that era. Yeah, same. Certain features of it. Obviously not the problematic... (laughs) Let me me rephrase. I miss how daring a lot of content was back then. Like, just just what you said with giving zero fucks. Like, basically, everybody was a little more David Lynch, where they were like, oh, you don't get it? Oh, it isn't for you? Whatever. I love making it. It's for me. I gravitated towards that so much when I was younger and still do. Same. That sense of being out of depth whilst reading something is almost something I kind of crave. Oh my god, it's such a coincidence because just today I was listening to another podcast that's called You Must Remember This, where they're talking about erotica in the 80s and 90s. It's a fantastic podcast that I recommend to everyone. And in today's episode, they were talking about David Lynch from, of course, the 90s with Lost Highway. Have you seen Lost Highway? I have. It's uh, it's one of my favorite Lynch movies, actually. I watched it once in my Lynch craze era where I had just discovered him with Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and all of that stuff. I was way too young. I have never watched it since. I was just like, what the fuck is this? This is crap. <laughs> this is peak Lynch. This is bullshit. It's not made for me. It's not made for anyone. But now I found myself going, hmm, can I get that on Blu-ray? I'm really intrigued. I really want to watch this in my mid-30s. I don't have that many page notes this time around. I just really enjoyed this experience. I just gobble it all down. Yeah, I actually had a similar experience at one point. I thought, oh god, I need to be writing more notes because I have a lot on maybe the first kind of 10 pages or so. And then when I settled into it, I sort of forgot. And then there's this 100 page gap after which I'm like, oh god, better make notes again. I have a note on page 200 where my note is literally, these concepts are so tasty. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the chapter about the crows, how you shouldn't, you should never harm or upset a crow because they will always remember you. And then the character throws a rock at the crows and hits for once. And then, of course, shit comes down because, you know, he did the thing he was supposed to do. And it reminded me of The Lighthouse, the movie The Lighthouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where there's a similar concept just with seagulls. So there's this ongoing theme of don't hurt the birds because the birds will remember. And I'm very soft for that concept. I think it's very cool and it's haunting. Since humans can't fly, there's something terrifying of constantly having to be careful about something from up above. Yeah, this chapter felt a lot like maybe the author had just watched the birds and then they were like, oh, I want to grab that in here and then mix it in with local folktale. I was wondering, how does this relate to the rest of the book? And then you get that great page turn where there's a close-up of one of the crows and it's got like three weird eyes and is made of hair. I was just like, (laughs) Yeah, that's where I took the note. This concept is so delicious. And there is this constant in and out between folktale and modern horror, which I quite liked about this, especially in the way that it jumps from maybe sort of two or three hundred years ago at the most to present day, exploring the origins of this weird god. And that uh, brings me to one of my notes, actually, which is uh, I've just written uh, page 144. Uh is my note and I couldn't remember what I put the note on but if you go to her page 144 you'll see what I mean so I wanted to write so many times <laughs> that this totem of the god looks like a dick it really does and I wondered whether that was deliberate or if that's just what Jesus statues look like so that's what he went for but that was one of the most disturbing images in the book that like dent-headed phallic (laughs) phallic gross thing with this face and this leering expression i think i've seen far too many monster dildos i was like that that's a penis and then i moved on (laughs) 
it was specifically the expression that it's got because you you could easily miss the fact that that's a face and I think I was staring at it thinking oh it's a bit gross and then I saw it staring at me and that moment was a really kind of nice slash nasty connection I think I was just too humored by the fact that it looks like little pee pee and then I had to keep telling myself stop being five years old take this seriously god damn it oh dear I'm very glad that you brought it to the table because I wouldn't have, but you did. And I'm very glad that we can join hands on this. (laughs) (laughs) There's another very short chapter, like very, very, very short, five pages or so, roughly page 207 or so. It's about a couple of students in class, female students, and two two girls show up and just yank the third one out, like quite violently. She's like, what the fuck? What are you doing? And they're going, can't you see? What's over by your desk? And she goes, what? And then she turns around and then she finally sees that right in front of her desk this entire time, there's been a monster. And when I page turned and saw the face, I went like, what the fuck is that? Because <laughs> yeah. it's just like a mouth full of teeth and nothing else. I was like, mmm. it's so gross and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do like that, although the art is relatively tight all the way through, even a bit stiff sometimes, this monster is drawn with really loose brush lines, which makes it even weirder. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean. The manga's passion really shines through in all the monsters, since it's the same with the birds rendered with hair. It's so detailed and lovingly done, but it looks like it could fit into a completely different style. One of the creepiest ones actually was immediately after this uh, one that you just meant, literally the next tiny story and it's about I think it's one of the characters that we've had before dreaming about her grandmother or something wearing her grandmother's clothes which is really intriguing I got pulled into it and I was like is it her grandmother what is it who is it and it turns around and it's got this horrendous face but it's never determined whether it really was her grandmother or not or whether like she was being haunted and she's left wondering whether she mistreated her grandmother in some way and or, or something to deserve this. And I loved the ambiguity in that. And then this haunting image of a familiar piece of clothing on an unfamiliar shape. Yeah, it's a great concept. I think the scare itself didn't necessarily impact me as much since it very much reminded me of The Ring. And yeah. the faces they have in the ring when they've been scared to death. Yeah, it wasn't so much the jump scare, it was more the con- the concept there. And it did get me wondering, actually, perhaps the later volumes answer this question. But I started to think maybe some of these characters are descendants of the characters that we see in the historical period. And that actually her grandmother is one of the grandmothers that we saw. Because there's this weird thing with the grandmothers having their heads shaved before they're buried. And then the hair's donated to Agushi-sama. And I wondered whether whether maybe her grandmother was the first in a line to not be buried with her head shaved and that that caused some terrible problem or something. Ooh, yeah. As I said, the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, I'm going to pick up these next volumes since I want to see if it keeps the hair concept or if it's something completely different in the next volumes, if it keeps in line with the whole changing radio stations and then like next volume is a completely new day, so new program, or if it's gonna, you know, keep a through line. It'd be a bit weird if it sort of dropped the hair theme after three volumes or however many this is. But uh, yeah, I do want to know now. If they only keep the hair theme, I feel like six volumes of that can get a little tiresome if this is all it does. Although I've got to say, though, just when I thought it had run out of steam and I was like, oh no, I've seen all the weird hair that you can show me, there was the episode right near the end where these guys walk into a bar and there's someone with what looks like a normal hairstyle but with a big ass ponytail and they're like oh who does he think he is some kind of samurai and i was like oh this is interesting it's kind of cool how just an unusual hairstyle can really draw attention or make you stand out socially and then when they look at him from the side they see that the hair behind him is sort of connected to his neck in a weird way. When they look closer at his neck, they can see that actually there's another face pressed against the back of his head that's growing out of him. And it turns around and looks at them. And I was like, (laughs) Yeah, that's really unsettling. I think this author's inventive enough maybe to keep this theme going, but I'm really interested to see whether it's even possible. This really got to me where it's the entire story is just a dude sleeping and then he remarks on how every night his girlfriend just stares at him 
can I just say that that is one of my biggest things where I'm just like, if I woke up in the middle of the night, I was sharing a bedroom with someone and I wake up to them just standing there staring at me, which I do know can happen because people sleepwalk, for example, and then they just stand next to your bed, paranormal activity style. I would karate chop the (laughs) fuck out of there. (laughs) Oh my God. This one freaked me out. I also liked how kind of almost semi- possibly accidentally comedical the framing for that was because it starts off with this really basic dialogue where the guy's like my girlfriend's kind of sweet she's pretty i've got no complaints except that she stares at me every single night when i sleep (laughs) yeah the dialogue itself is humoristic and then you see the image you're like nope it's not funny anymore (laughs) yeah absolutely that's the cool thing about this manga though is that it allows for your own interpretation. Yeah, I didn't think it would be this much fun to flick through the book and find connections after the fact, but I now really want to actually dig into this and start testing theories or seeing whether I can identify characters, where previously I thought that that was, let's say, a downside because I couldn't tell who was who. I'm now thinking, or maybe it's an upside because it's a really unusual experience to have with a comic, which are often one and done, and as much as I love comics as a medium, my one problem with them both as a creator and as a reader is that they can be a bit fleeting they don't really take all that long to read and i want to kind of really savor the experience but having this kind of re-readability where you can piece things together after the fact is quite unusual yeah something that's occurring to me right now flicking through is i'm actually wondering if this has been pieced together a little bit similar to the walking man where the order is out of order Because in the chapter towards the end where the douche bro and the girlfriend are having sex, I just noticed that the art style looks a little bit more dated again. It looks very similar to the beginning of the book. And it kind of feels like they have broken off the chapter and like just chucked it in the back for no significant reason. And I'm now really curious what the original order is and if this maybe isn't it. That's a good point, actually, that this kind of like chopped up radio format might actually then be them just chopping up the chapters and distributing them throughout the book as an interesting way of framing them, the collection. Huh. Yeah, and that they were maybe more linear originally, because some of these do belong together, but they've been split apart. Yeah, it almost feels like this one is the previous chapter to the one where the girlfriend comes back and is like, I'm giving you back your curse. Because you've even got the same panel of her Mm -hmm. being pulled under the bathtub. Yeah, and that actually really confused me when I was like, why is this panel being reused? And also there was a cut between the old girlfriend and the current girlfriend where they are drawn so similarly. I initially made a note that I didn't include in my clean notes where I went, is this the same character? Because she was just sitting on the tram having her hair pulled and now she's in the bathtub having her hair pulled. Can't the girl catch a fucking break? And I realized they're two separate women. Oh, I thought they were actually the same character. Huh. Okay, interesting. I guess there's two explanations. One is that the publishers tried to make the book more interesting by doing this to it. And the other one is that this was actually pre-planned by the author and he wrote all of these scenes in order and then deliberately broke them up and spread them throughout the book in order to create a disjointed feel, which would also be really interesting. Yeah, either way, I think it's very clever, if it's intentional or unintentional. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've certainly not quite read a story structure like it before, which is, is great to encounter something new. Yeah, it really is. And we've talked so much about story structure and how we crave something different. So for this to be just me going, damn, that looks dope, yoink, and then it provides exactly the kind of stuff that we've been craving is very lucky. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Masaki Nakayama, for the meal. And thank you for the bonus meal, because like I said, I love it so much more now that we talked about it. It's interesting how that can happen with, I mean, it happened a little bit last week when I was sort of Really, really not in the mood for reading, apparently, uh, listening back to that episode again. And then talking about the book gave me a new perspective on it and made me really appreciate it more. It's great how talking about media can re-engage you and make you more generous about things as well. That also brings me back to something that we were talking about through text, where I said, how do you think you would have reacted to this if this is what you read the previous recording when you were feeling a little out of it? I think that... I would have not had any patience for this structure. I would have interpreted it really ungenerously as a series of errors rather than a series of mysterious invites to discover more. 
because I was clearly just in a mood where I just <laughs> wasn't tolerating anything that wasn't just sort of <laughs> presenting me exactly what I wanted on a plate straight away. I guess that's one of the things about talking about something you've read is that you get to experience it in two different states of mind. And because state of mind is so important to reading, then you get to sort of average the story out across different types of you. <laughs> reading this really made me aware of that because like I told you earlier, I deliberately set the scene to have the perfect experience by making a moodscape for myself to mm. devour this because I wanted to be 100% peaked for horror. I couldn't have read this on like a beautiful sunny day with like birds singing outside. It wouldn't have been the place. Ah. And I couldn't have read it if I was downcast or I knew I had to be very ready for this. If I had experienced this in a very different way, I also don't think I would have met it with the same open-mindedness that I did and also the same eagerness. Right. Now here's an interesting idea. Because we talk about media a lot and we often run into problems about spoilers. You know, like for example, if you listen to one of these episodes and you haven't read one of these books, you're going to be spoiled to hell and back. Some people don't mind that. For some people, it really, really ruins an experience. And I'm wondering if there's another way of recommending books, a bit like you might recommend a wine with a particular kind of meal or something. Instead of describing the plot, you describe the vibe and the atmosphere that the book has. No, but I super get what you mean. And I am just like, my synapses are firing right now because I'm going, we need to make this a segment. We should actually start prepping for this just like we make a blurb. Like, how would you 100% best experience this comic? That's a great idea. Maybe we could do that beforehand to give people a chance to go away and experience the comic in that state. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we've already got this one. It's it's exactly the setup you described. <laughs> yeah, you just got to get a stormy day, some spooky music and some candles and you're good, baby. Definitely the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack. Oh. The, I think the song is called Betrayal on the Silent Hill 2 soundtrack. It's such an industrial noisy song. It's one of my favorite. I fucking love that song. I can listen to it until the end of days. I could probably attempt to sing it. Uh, it's got like a kind of a moaning drone behind it. And it's the one that goes like... Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's just clinks and clanks. And yep. then like almost like this fake recreation of a choir just hollering in the background. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. it, yeah. Oh, it's, and there's a two-part. There's two, I think it's called True and Betrayal. If you just listen to those songs during one of these chapters, you're, you are set, baby. Mm. Oh, I want to redo this book now. I'm definitely going to do that. We are uh, keeping in line with the horror theme since it's spooky month. In the next episode, we are reading The Man Who Came Down the Attic Stairs by Celine Loop. Cool. I'll see you next time. Yeah, bye. Bye. Sorry, I can't read my writing. And bellies? <laughs> this is why you clean write. <laughs> Status and bellies? Belief. Belief. There we go. Okay, right. <clears throat> Let's start again. This struck me today that I was like, man, it's been a while since I thought about DVD and Blu-ray Blu regions, huh? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. On page 20... Oh, Jesus Christ, no. Yeah, it's rare for that, though. Pardon me, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, some awful... Did you try to eat the microphone? <laughs> no, no. I don't know if you've ever experienced, like, you're in the middle of talking, but your body wants to burp. Many times. <laughs> What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs>